0: Say amen to that.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful to have you playing for us today, Martha. Thank you. As we gather here, give yourself the gift of about three deep breaths so that you can fully arrive in this space, so that your heart can be opened, so that you can recognize the presence of the Spirit in with and among us right here and right now. in body and spirit and in beloved community, let us worship the living God.
2: Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. We find in the spirit a source of great strength. Let us open ourselves to the wellspring of God.
1: Let us start
0: Seated. A warm welcome to you to worship here at Westminster. We're really glad that you're here with us today, whether you're new or fairly new, or you've been coming for it seems like ever and ever. (laughs) Hopefully, the service won't feel like it lasts forever, at least the sermon. But we're glad to have you here. I encourage you to reach out and introduce yourself to someone after the service. Being a welcoming church has to go beyond just smiling when smiled upon. So please do reach out to others and, and greet them. Join us for some fellowship afterwards in Finley Hall so you can connect more deeply. To that end also during the offering if you would sign those attendance registers in the bulletin, I'm sorry in your pews and pass them down and back. Not only can we have record of your presence here, but if you're new or uh, would like to connect more deeply, you can leave us your contact information. And likewise, those around you can know with whom they are worshiping. Now let's join our hearts and our voices praying together with the community prayer. Let us pray. God of the ancestors, in whose stories we find our roots, We praise you for the goodness we experience. We give thanks for ways in which we've been supported, guided, protected, and accompanied. We honor with aching hearts those who have endured tough, uncompromising, or unfair times with resourcefulness, grit, and resilience we perhaps recognize those times in ourselves, forgive us for when we have contributed to the hardship of others, even unawares, and help us to recognize the predicaments of others before judging. Amen. And our prayers continue in quiet. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. In Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Know that we've been set free. Know that we've been forgiven and be at peace. Amen. It's a time in our service where we share what's going on in our lives. It's a way for us to grow closer together as a community and give us a chance to hold up one another both in prayer and in other tangible ways. So if you have something to share, just raise your hand and speak up best you can. Yeah, please, Susan. I would like to lift up Sandra Doppucci this morning. She was close to me here Um we drove her. And her hip is
1: bothering her too much. Hmm. Mm.
0: Thank you, Susan, and thank you for driving her, the the, the Burkouts drive Sandra Iacopucci to church weekly, and which is, and if you have the ability to do that for someone, maybe let us know because there are people who always need rides. But Sandra's hip was not allowing her to make it today, so we remember her. Kyle, that's fantastic. Soon. Okay, great. So, uh, Kyle's brother and sister-in-law will be visiting soon, and I know that's a great joy, so we join you in that, Kyle. Others? Michael. Michael.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. thank you, Michael, and I'm glad you're doing better as your whole family. The Hatfields have been dealing with a lot of COVID in their home, so they're on the mend, and we're glad to hear that. Deb? You can stand, you can sit, whatever you want to do. Thanks, Deb. I said, you are so
1: you know, all, all of, you know, Bayer and the picture, and she by herself. Um, uh, she said, I lost
0: myself. Yeah. And that's just, I think we to anyone who feels Yeah, thank you, Deb. Deb shares uh, the rather brave sharing of some, a dear friend of hers who's endured some domestic violence. And that's the kind of thing that sometimes we don't talk about, but we need to this needs to be a place we can give voice to. So we hold up that friend uh, and others who maybe have dealt with that either in secret or aloud. Thank you. Uh, uh Lewis. I have a joy and concern. Uh, joy is that I'm on the twenty first of I thirty mile with a total for protein. Terrific. Good for you. <laughs> uh my concern is that uh, the develop for protein fundraising is going more slowly
1: than they expected. Um
3: so if we can uh think about
0: that and send something to the presbytery. Or... Thank you, louis Yeah, louis shares a joy. He as part of the Presbytery's ministry called the Pedal for Protein. It's a bike ride that raises money for area food banks. Uh, Lewis rode the whole 30 miles of his stage of the journey a a few weeks ago, but the Presbytery reported that it's been a a harder slog this year in terms of fundraising. That's something we've supported over the past year, so if you're moved to support that, um, you can see Lewis or go right to the Presbytery of Redwoods and and see that there. And if you're a cyclist, think about this for next year. It'd be really fun to get a whole (laughs) Westminster team uh, to go on that. But thank you for sharing that. I thought, like I saw, yeah, Judy. I'd like to ask for prayers for my brother-in-law who is, has terminal cancer and went into hospital yesterday. Prayers also for his wife and my sister who's yes. going So, Judy shares uh, prayers for a family member who's got cancer and uh, the journey <laughs> facing that. Yeah, thank you, Judy. Let's come together in a time of... Oh, no, thank you, Elizabeth. Clark.
4: I just wanted to communicate a joy. Uh, we have a new uh, member of our household. It's a boycat named Cedric. Yes. He's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Did, I, I feel like saying this in, uh, with so many other really deep concerns you enjoy. Uh,
3: amazing term, would
4: no,
0: I'm glad you said it. Yeah, I'm really glad. Uh, Elizabeth also has a new furry. Yeah, yes. We have two celebrations of animal companions into our homes, and they do bring us such joy and such company, and uh, all of it's welcome here, right? All of it's welcome.
3: Maybe we can get a
4: Zoom blessing from Yeah, I'm a little freaked out to bring down
0: I understand. I could take that show on the road. Let's pray. Holy One of all creatures, great and small, of all concerns, of all joys, of all stations in life, of all challenges, we offer ourselves and all that we carry over to you as a prayer, as a holy offering, inviting relationship with you. Bind us to one another as we seek to be supportive of each other in all that this life presents us. Oh God, we offer all these things, we offer everything to you as prayer, and we offer this prayer now, the prayer that your Son taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
1: of
4: Want to invite any of the children worshiping with us today to join me here for our time of discovery? It's okay if you're if you want to sit there. I can just talk loud or <laughs> through the microphone. It is okay. I'm a scary. I am a scary-looking human being. So. So I have to show you a picture of someone who is a hero of mine, someone I have never met. Do you have heroes? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's a picture of. Her. I don't even need to send you pictures. Right here in the flesh. Now I have a, a picture of someone who's a hero of mine, and she is. I'm going to say 23 years younger than I am. She's very young, and in this picture, she was even younger. Her name is Greta Thunberg. And some of you know who that is, some of the grown-ups do. And so this is a picture of her when she was in like middle school or high school, just a you know, not an adult, and she was looking at all the ways that our planet is struggling and wanted to help people. So she might have skipped school even, I'm not sure. But <laughs> not to say you should do that, but she went out by herself with a sign that talked about taking care of the planet. And she did that all by herself. Do you think that was probably scary for her, wasn't it? To be out there just by herself with people walking by. And people started wondering, why is this kid out here with this sign? And long story short, it turned into this. All these other people started following her with signs also to get people to pay attention to how we take care of the planet. Now that was pretty brave for her to just sit out there by herself all those days. Well, we're going to hear some stories of a couple of other people who are brave today. But I want to tell you one other, because that's a really big one. And I get to volunteer at Rancho Elementary School, where these guys go to school. These are my sons. They're, uh, they're not here this morning because they're coming to Supper Club later. But when I get to volunteer at their classroom, there was a little girl who had just arrived in America a week before she was in class. and She did not know how to speak any English. And I was so amazed by all the other kids in her first grade class who figured out how to include her in their games. They tried to help her with her math, tried to help her with her reading. They were reading books to her and she would get confused and sometimes she'd walk around and they were just so patient trying to help her. And I thought, you know, the easy thing would be to just play my own game and not include her. But they were super brave the rest of the year, including her and helping her. She's doing great now. She's reading on her own and doing math on her own. It's very impressive. So you are going to hear two of my other favorite stories, of, or one story about two other women who were very brave. And they have interesting names. And I bet your parents have never story in the Bible that we don't read very much or think about. So, I hope you can remember their names too. And we're going to follow my friend Grayson uh, out the door and my friend Susan the door as well. So let's go find out who they are.
2: Today we have uh, one extended scripture reading from Genesis 38 verses one through 30. So I'll be reading the first 19 verses and then Rob will pick up where I left off. Listen for what the Spirit is saying. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and settled near a certain Adolamite whose name was Hera. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He married her and went into her. She conceived and bore a son, and he named him Er. Again, she conceived and bore a son, whom she named Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she named him Shelah. She was in Shezib when she bore him. Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, but Er, Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Raise up offspring for your brother. But since Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, he spilled his semen on the ground whenever he went in to his brother's wife, so that he would not give offspring to his brother. What he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he feared that he too would die like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. In course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah's time of mourning was over, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hirah the Adalamite. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep, she put off her widow's garments, put on a veil, wrapped herself up, and sat down at the entrance to Ennaim, which is on the road to Timnah. She saw that Shelah was grown up yet she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He went over to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he answered, I will send you a kid from the flock. And she said, only if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge should I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and the staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she got up and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood.
0: When Judah sent the kid by his friend, the Adullamite, to recover the pledge from the woman, he could not find her. He asked the townspeople, Where is the temple prostitute who was at Naaim by the wayside? But they said, No prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Moreover, the townspeople said, No prostitute has been here. Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, otherwise we will be laughed at. You see, I sent this kid and you could not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter in law, Tamar, has played the whore. Moreover, she is pregnant as a result of whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And she was being brought out. She sent word to her father-in-law, it was the owner of these who made me pregnant. And she said, take note, please, who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah acknowledged them and said, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not lie with her again. When the time of her delivery came, there were twins in her womb. While she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and bound on his hand a crimson thread, saying, This one came out first. But just then he drew back his hand and came out, and out came his brother and said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore he was named Perez. Afterwards his brother came out with the crimson thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. This strange and mysterious reading is holy wisdom and holy word. I'll convince you. Thanks be to God. Christians often speak of Jesus' father. That he is heavenly is the most basic of Christian claims. And many Christians revere and adore Jesus' mother, In the tradition, uh, the Greek word used to describe Mary is theotakos, which means the God-bearer. A beautiful image. And many contemporary Christians see Mary as a special and intimate portal through which they can connect with the divine. But how often have you heard about Jesus' grandmothers? That's what you'll be hearing about for the next three Sundays. Women in Jesus' line. As you may know, I'm in a group of preachers that gathers once a year and we write papers on different passages to help give each other material and invite ourselves into deeper examination of various parts of the tradition. And some of my colleagues got together and did a series called Jesus' Grandmothers, and you will hear some of the insights that came from that. I found the series both informative and also inspiring. You see, lineage is an interesting and impactful thing. I don't have to tell you that. Many of you already have that conviction. How many of us have gone to some lengths to discover something about where we came from? Whether it's through DNA testing we've gone through to figure out who our people are, where do we originate? Or online family trees or ancestry services? sure many of us have done that to try to figure out a little bit more about who we are. I would argue, as, as an important a process, would be one of constructing your own line, your, old, your own sort of spiritual lineage. In whose image do you see yourself? In whose line or stream would you like to place yourself? Spiritually, intellectually morally whose values resonate with you and therefore in whose image do you try to model your life after in some way or another. If you've never done that as an exercise as a group or as an individual, I encourage you to do it. To see where you're anchored and tethered in this life. Matthew's gospel begins with a genealogy. And it's easy for those of us who do not like to pronounce names with which we're not familiar, to just quickly flip past those pages. What could there possibly be in those lists of strange names for us? And a New Testament professor who either said he had, or he had wanted to do his entire master's thesis on the genealogy that begins Matthew's Gospel. And if you think, well, there's not enough material for a master's thesis in that list of names, I would argue there is actually more material than you could possibly cover in that genealogy in a simple master's thesis. And don't sell yourself short with biblical literalism here. That's one of modernity's worst inventions. And it's a modern invention, early folks in the church knew good and well the world was not created in seven days and they spoke about it openly. Somehow we've fallen into that intellectual trap. This is a chosen genealogy. Certain names are included for certain reasons to tell us something about who they believe Jesus was. It's why Matthew's genealogy differ, differs from Luke in a number of ways, including the inclusion of women, Jesus' grandmothers. So what's in them for us? Over the next three weeks, we'll try to figure at least a piece of that out as we examine the stories of Tamar, of Rahab, and of Bathsheba. Let's begin today with Tamar. Now, if you aren't confused enough already by the reading, there are several Tamars in Scripture. It's not the same one. The one we're talking about today comes from that passage in Genesis 38. And if you couldn't quite follow it, it's okay. It takes a few passes through. Let's just recap for the purposes, the highlights for today's message because we certainly can't address it all. Tamar is married to a man named Ur. Ur is wicked in God's sight. God zaps Ur dead. Onan, Ur's brother, is required by cultural and religious legal standards to do his duty, which is to take the widow of his brother as his own wife. Why? Because the provision of a child for a woman was everything Her entire well-being, the bloodline, the family, everything depended on having offspring. It was critical. And so it was the duty of the brother to do just that. Onan does not fulfill his duty. He fulfills part of it, notice. The pleasurable part of that duty of taking her as his wife but he does not complete his duty. He does in his mind whatever he can to avoid having that encounter end in a pregnancy. God does not like this. Strikes down Onan dead. Judah, the brother's father, decides at that point to send Tamar back back to her family. They likely had paid Judah to take him into his family, but he's now returning her. It's like returning something you've purchased, except actually something you've been given, paid for. says, you need to wait till my other son, Shelah, is old enough to marry you. So she goes back to her father's household. Along the way, Tamar realizes that Shelah's plenty old enough to marry her. And nothing is happening. So she takes matters into her own hands. She veils herself. Disguises herself and places herself along the side of the road. Her father-in-law, Judah, has lost his own wife, has undergone the mandatory mourning period, and is now going up for the shearing of his sheep, of his flock. And he sees this prostitute, thinks is a prostitute, on the side of the road, and takes her and uh, uses her services for his own pleasure, not knowing it's his daughter-in-law. And she's crafty enough to to get proof of the encounter so that when she gives birth and is called a whore, she can say, this is where my child came from. Matthew thinks that story is so important that he begins the genesis of the story of Jesus is anchored in the genesis of the whole thing in the story of that woman among others. That's remarkable. Here's a woman who has no agency afforded her. By the way, the world ran. Put through all of that Passing back and forth by one big patriarchy. And yet, when there seems to be no way, she finds a way. She claims her own power and her own choice, and against all odds, does what she needs to do to survive. And Matthew says, If I'm going to tell you who Jesus is, I've got to tell you about this first. That's remarkable. And yet, so many miss the point of some of these beautiful stories and either brush right past them or worse, mischaracterize them. There's a pastor who's far more famous than I will ever be, which I'm okay with, actually, on a number of levels, who I will not name because I'm about to criticize him and I don't want to be slanderous. But he says this read the genealogy of Jesus and you have to see how the four women were only going to deal with three of them in this series, how the four women in that genealogy, God used their sins for his glory. Their sins. Their sins? What was her sin? Yes, she was deceptive. I would think we could recognize the necessity of her deception there, or at least we could understand it in those circumstances doing that. Yet he likes to focus on the sins of these women. Well, let's take a gander again at the men in the story, right? Ur is just wicked. I don't even know why. He's just wicked. Bad guy. Onan, little sleazy, right? Doesn't, Doesn't live up to what he's asked to do. Judah. Returns her to the father and keeps his other son, assuming Tamar's uh, a husband killer, essentially, Uh, and so deceives her. At every turn, they fail or have no integrity, don't fulfill their duty, and pass her around as if she doesn't matter. Her sins? Her sins? There's no glory, no dignity in her path, yet a path she makes. It's a complex story, though. Thankfully, deeper in the tradition, and more often than the pastor I just quoted, there is praise for Tamar. What courage she demonstrated in that moment. What persistence she had. Think of what she endured, the embarrassment of the shame and the act that she had to commit in order to have a child, her own father-in-law. It is a complex story. A colleague of mine, Emily Wilmarth, a pastor in Highlands, North Carolina, who wrote on this topic beautifully, wonders somewhat painfully if Tamar's actions don't actually, in their heroism, take us away from recognizing the problem that makes them necessary. She writes, I have to admit I struggle with Tamar's story. On the one hand, Tamar's actions don't seem to change the particular system that oppresses her. She's so good at navigating it, in other words, that it doesn't call us to question it. The patriarchy rages on, she writes, and the tradition celebrates her for allowing it. We have no idea what happens to Tamar in the end, only that her name and her role are codified in the long, deep family history. In other words, celebrating her for working through that system so deftly, we forget to ask questions about it. Well, that is, unless we ask questions about it. Unless we recognize, perhaps, that the very presence of the story invites us to ask about the world that made the story necessary. We can't be passive listeners. We have to be engaged and active listeners. We have a role to play through the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, Wilmarth concludes, I celebrate Tamar's ingenuity and her nerve. Systems don't usually crumble in an instant. And you might say, we can't ask one person to change that, particularly the most powerless person in the picture. She goes on, Tamar was never going to dismantle the patriarchy, but she does what she has to do. She exploits Judah's proclivities, and she gets what she needs to survive. She claims her own agency. She outsmarts the system in which she exists. It's heartbreaking, but it's inspiring how she joins with countless oppressed women and men. Women and men who have taken matters into their own hands for the sake of their own survival women and men who risk breaking stupid laws or ludicrous social norms to ensure that they or their children or their people won't continue to suffer. Her story is not excluded from the scriptures. Her story is the story of every woman or every man or every child, every being that has ever existed in a situation that was unfair or unjust or that didn't recognize the fullness of their humanity. Every law that is imperfect or unfair or discriminates, her story stands in solidarity with that. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the author of Matthew's gospel saw fit to put it at the beginning of Jesus' story. Robert Williamson, Jr., who's a pastor and an Old Testament scholar, says this in contrast to what was shared earlier. One cannot tell the story of Jesus with all, without also telling the stories of remarkable women without whom Jesus would have never been. Yet nor can one tell the story of Jesus without remembering all of the tragedies inflicted upon women by men living in a patriarchal culture. Matthew can't tell this story without including Tamar because Tamar's actions and her predicament are woven in to the spiritual DNA of Jesus Christ. Her story is resourceful But it's also revealing about the world in which she lived, a world that was broken. It's revealing to us who also live in a broken world, though perhaps the broken pieces look different in our time. Some look the same. Matthew says you can't tell Jesus' story without telling her story. Because her story is his story. And because we follow him, it's our story too. She had a name. Her name was Tamar. Remember it. Tamar was the 41st great grandmother of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. This time I'm pleased to invite Jim RC. forward to offer a moment for stewardship. Jim.
3: Pat and I want to make a difference in the world. That's why we come to Westminster And that is why we give to Westminster. Westminster makes a difference in our lives, makes a difference in your lives, and it makes a difference in the world. So we've been here, I think, just three years now, almost exactly. And Westminster allows us to explore our faith, enables us to serve others, and equips us to face the world. Westminster has allowed us to explore our faith through worship, through some really fun classes, and through Bible study. I think one of our, Pat and my favorite, is uh, when we first got here in Lent, we read the entire book of Gospel, as uh, the entire Gospel of Mark in a small group in one sitting. And it was really moving. But we haven't just explored our faith individually, we've explored it in community. And we've explored it with other seekers, other followers. And we've made good friends and fellows through through the men's group, through Women Connecting, through the movie group, and we really admired how Westminster continued to connect us all during COVID. It was really important to us. And Westminster has enabled us to serve others both directly and indirectly. We have been so impressed with the outreach that this community offers. Look just at the um, alternative Christmas fair that we had on Thanksgiving and all the different groups that were supported through the Outreach Mission Team. And we've focused on supporting Marin City. Uh, For us, that started with a call by Jeff Shankle to help with a, a small little construction project. And that has turned into the Boy Scout Troop, which Westminster now sponsors. The Boy Scout Troop is now building an intergenerational community garden sponsored by Westminster. So we're building a garden while we are building lives of value and character for these young men through Westminster. And we also enjoy giving and making lunches for Marin City every Tuesday through Carol and Jerry Gunn. And I think by the end of the year, collectively, many of you, we will have donated over 10,000 lunches to Marin City. And Westminster has equipped us to deal with the world. And I mean, Lord, the last three years have been pretty darn challenging. A pretty crazy political environment here in the US, a global pandemic with COVID, war in the Ukraine, financial uncertainty, and that's just the underlying stuff upon which we try and live the lives with all the normal challenges. Uh, I haven't shared this with but a few of you guys, uh, you all and uh, personally over the last couple years. I've been in the hospital six times twice with cancer and twice with COVID, and twice with kidney stones uh, I'm fine now um, But the spirit that is Westminster lifted Pat and me during this and it made a difference in our in our lives So Westminster is rich in spirit. It's rich in what it has to offer but it is not rich in treasure. And we need every dime of your stewardship contributions to help maintain, if not enhance, the investment we make in people and property and programs. So we ask that you carefully consider making a sacrifice of some of your treasure to donate to Westminster to help us fulfill many of these ministries. So I'd like to close with a saying that my grandfather taught me. It's been a guideline for me in my life. And it says 100 years from now, it won't matter where I lived. It won't matter what kind of car I drove. It won't matter what the balance was in my bank account. But it might make a difference that I was important in the life of a child. And we are all children. Westminster makes a difference in our lives. It makes a difference in the world. And we ask that you help make a difference at Westminster by generously contributing to the stewardship campaign. Thank you for allowing me to share.
0: Thank you, Jim, for that powerful testimony. Thank you, Mary Beth, and to the many others on the stewardship team for your work on this important project. As always, I won't say everything that's noted in the bulletin or highlighted in the e-news that I hope you're getting each week. If you're not, let us know. I will just highlight a couple of things today. If you're relatively new here, or I shouldn't say that, maybe you've been coming for a long, long time, but you've never chosen to join the church officially, but are intrigued about doing so, I would invite you to a new member orientation next Sunday after the 10 o'clock service. And in addition, I would invite you to pick up a folder today, a new member folder, which has a lot of materials that you can read between now and then. We used to sort of read them aloud to you during the orientation, which was a great way to thin the herd because it was not the most riveting of presentations. but. Um, Now we trust that to you and we invite you to bring in questions and and comments. So if you're interested in doing that, pick up a folder from me today and uh, join us next week or get the word out to someone that you know comes here but maybe isn't today. That's next week after the 10 o'clock service. The only other thing I will mention is that on November 13, as part of this Westminster events initiative that you may have heard about, an intentional effort led by Aaron Elliott and a number of others, I see Karen here has been helping mightily with that, to help this new and wonderful facility be a host to more events that might be a blessing to the community around us, um, I will be interviewing one, and I say this without hyperbole, one of the most interesting people I've ever met. The series is what I'm kind of calling interesting people in our backyard, getting to know our neighbors. And, I, and one of them is one of the interesting, most interesting men I've ever met. Who is it, you're probably wondering. I'm not telling. <laughs> We're going to build a little bit of intrigue here. We're going to drive a little traffic over to the e-news, which is where we'll reveal that person in due time. So, mark your calendars, though, November 13th. Four o'clock start, get here at three thirty for mingling and snacks and four to five, an interview that will be sure to pique your interest. And with that our closing hymn is number five zero. the last verse of that hymn, and as we call to mind those people over all the centuries who preserved those stories for us, that they might be written on our hearts, that we might go out and write new chapters through the power of the Holy Spirit through our lives in our collective life. As you go from this place, then may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and who is Mother of us all. And the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit may it go with you this day and every day. Amen.